Welcome to Courage in Action. We are a sisterhood of women empowering women to be everything we are meant to be. I'm your host, Naluka Kotagata, and it is my privilege to join your life journey as we connect with some extraordinary, triumphant, and beautifully imperfect women through this podcast. Together, we hope to inspire you to take action towards your life goals, one courageous step at a time. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I am joined by Charmaine Hammond. She's a true entrepreneur and transformative leader who dedicates her life to helping others' dreams come true. I was so intrigued as I read about Charmaine's organization, Raise a Dream, and I'm truly inspired by the work she does to help nonprofits come to life. I am in awe of this five-time best-selling, award-winning author, certified professional speaker, and entrepreneur who's truly living her dream. I can't wait to dive into this conversation. Welcome to Courage in Action, Charmaine. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Awesome. So we normally start off just by our guests telling um, our listeners a little bit about your journey and how you arrived to the space you're in today. Sure. Well, like everybody, we've all had probably an interesting path to where we are today. Mine started out in jail. I was a correctional officer in Ontario. <laughs> that sounded a little bit, got it, correctional uh, yeah. officer. Okay. Uh, let's repeat that again, correctional <laughs> officer. And so I was a correctional officer in adult male institutions in Ontario, Canada. Oh, cool. and. It was very cool. And um, it, I think that's where I really started to develop an interest for collaboration because much of how you stay safe and how you work in a jail is by collaborating with your colleagues. And I really started to um, look at how can I how can I move this career more into helping people who want to be helped? Not everybody in a jail is looking forward to rehabilitation. And so I moved away from working in the jail system to managing young offender facilities, custody facilities. And then- Oh, I love that. Yeah, that was really my passion because um, there was so much opportunity to impact the lives of these young offenders, but also to be impacted by them. Mm -hmm. some of my greatest lessons in life were taught to me by young kids between the ages of 13 and 16. Kids who just, they just made a mistake, right? Like, and they want to turn their lives around and they want to contribute. It's amazing. Yeah, it just yeah. such such powerful lessons. And then I went back to school, got a master's in conflict resolution and um, became a mediator, opened up my first business in 1997. So I have been an entrepreneur since then. Wow. And uh, and now have a second business, which is Raise a Dream. So corporately in my initial business, Hammond International, I work with companies, uh, government and organizations to help them build resilient, healthy teams and resolve conflict at work. And then in Raise a Dream, we work with nonprofit organizations, service clubs and entrepreneurs to raise their dreams through collaboration, partnership and sponsorship. That's amazing. That is quite the journey to getting here. <laughs> like this, right? Yeah, yeah. See, so you mentioned that, you know, you learned a lot of lessons um, from others along the way. Were there any kind of pivotal moments or any like really profound lesson that really um, helped you turn a corner or turn a page? 
You know, there were so many life lessons. Uh, probably one of the biggest lessons I ever had, uh, there, there's two that stand out. One of them was surviving a near-death sailboat accident that um, happened. At, and the good news is the gentleman that I survived the sailboat accident with, Christopher, he and I got married a year later. Yeah. So there was <laughs> that, that particular uh, swimming for our life for many hours before getting rescued uh, really taught me a lot about trusting your own skills, you know, I, and, and, and knowing that often we have more resources within us um, (laughs) that we can put into action. But I also really learned the importance of what matters in a moment and that life Mm. really is a series of moments all strung together. And that often what's happened before is preparing you for what's happening now. And I remember swimming in the lake thinking, wow, all those situations I survived years and years earlier when I was working in the jail setting, you know, maybe it prepared me for what I'm going through right now today. And and so it really taught me a lot about, um, you know, just how we have these internal coping mechanisms that we don't always realize we have. We're a lot more resilient than we sometimes give ourselves credit for. And then the second lesson that was really pivotal was my dog, Toby. He's the reason I'm yeah. an author. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, really? You have to tell me more about that. <laughs> my dog, Tim, our, our first dog, Toby, um, became a, an animal-assisted therapy dog as part of his treatment to get over anxiety and destroying our house and almost destroying uh, Chris and my marriage. Oh my and <laughs> and um, when we brought in the behaviorist, Maggie, she taught us that Toby was a dog who needed a purpose. And what was so interesting is I was in this process right at the same time looking for what is my purpose? What do I really want to do in the world? How do I want to contribute? So we went on this mission together, Toby and I, we volunteered every Wednesday at a psychiatric hospital and um, he changed lives. He saved lives. And you know, he's, he was a rescue dog. So a lot of people say, oh, it was awesome that you rescued Toby. And I always say, you know, it was pretty awesome that he rescued me. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so he became probably my best teacher in, in life and business and, and in resilience. That's amazing. Okay. There's so much I want to unpack there. So <laughs> um, cutting back to, so the accident and you're literally, that is truly courage in action. You're literally <laughs> swimming for your life. What went through your mind to keep you going? Like you're going through the hardest moment in your life. What keeps you pushing through? Yeah. Well, you know, it, when the, when the um, sailboat flipped over and I got dragged away with the sailboat. So Chris and I were separated in this lake. And part of what kept me going, it was, um, you know, we were, I was swimming towards the shoreline after I got torn away from the boat. I'm the boat kept sailing on. I'm in one area of the lake. Chris is probably about a mile and a half away. And um, I just remember thinking how important the shoreline was. And, you know, I was uh, sort of wishing I had a tape recorder or a sound. Yeah, you're or like, a- I gotta write this down <laughs> while I'm swimming. <laughs> your shoreline matters. I love it. <laughs> Crazy things go through your mind when you're swimming for your life. But I think um, what kept me going was instead of swimming back to shore, Chris followed my cries for help and swam to me. Oh. So we didn't have to be alone. And, and that's who you uh, marry. 
<laughs> oh, that's going there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what kept me going was, you know, there was times in that day where uh, one of us would be losing our energy. Uh, you know, we were both so cold. We didn't have wetsuits on and, and we get tired and swim with one arm and pull, you know, the other with our other arm. And what kept me going was teamwork, knowing that that shoreline was all the matter in the world right now, that that wow. was the place we had to get to. And the other, um, what kept me going was realizing the power of our thoughts. And I knew that I taught that for years but I never experienced it to this level. And I remember being in the lake, there was one moment where I was just mad. You know, I was mad mm. what was happening to me. I was mad why this day was ending this way. I was mad at all the things I didn't do that I wanted to accomplish. I was <laughs> mad that I didn't phone my mom and dad that morning. I was mad about a lot because fear turns into anger. Anger, and yeah. It, right? <laughs> and so... You know, I remember just thinking, I've got to change this thought process because as soon as I allowed myself to sink into fear and anger, I physically felt less ability to swim. And when, when I would fill my thoughts with, you're going to get there, the shoreline counts, you're going to get home tonight and phone your mom and dad and, you know, do write down your list of goals or whatever it is you need <laughs> to do. And when I would use affirming or um, bolstering thoughts, I honestly started to feel like Wonder Woman in the lake. Like I, wow. I physically felt more strength. And that lesson has carried with me for many, many years. That's amazing because that's, you were going through a, a tremendous physical trial, but it's the same thing when you're going through any sort of emotional trial or anything in life that that pattern of emotion, fear turning into anger, turning into realization. And that's how you sort of power through. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I I remember being mad at the whole situation. And then we often so fear turns into anger and anger often turns into blame. So here I was, you know, now blaming Chris. That I was gonna say, Christopher, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know, watching these cycles, and I just remember feeling so um comforted by his sense of calm. See, we we both experienced the same incident, but we handle it really different. Chris oh, wow. surren Chris surrendered to what was happening to him and I wanted and I resisted it I fought it and and we both you know came out of it okay Chris was in very very serious condition when we got rescued oh my gosh. um he the I guess the 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 part of the story that's the good news is um just he, he was going in and out of consciousness and and he told me I had to leave him and go get help. And there was no way I was going to be alone in that lake again, alone. <laughs> and, uh, and so he, he said, Shar, you've, you've got to, my body's cramped. You've got to swim and go get help like right now. And, you know, we were probably still three and a half miles from shore and I didn't want to leave him. Yeah. And Chris knew he was um, very in very serious condition. He'd been in and out of hot consciousness. So he said, when we get back on shore, we have a wedding to plan. And apparently I turn into like an Olympic swimmer. You're like, I gotta go, I'm getting married. <laughs> <laughs> and so oh my God. on our wedding day, I teased him when we were telling the story, of course, at our wedding and how yes. that whole came to be. I said, you know, poor guy didn't think he was going to make it, but he's a, you know, he's a man of his words. So. <laughs> and you're a woman of yours swimming. <laughs> 
to yeah. to get help. You need to you need a movie, not a book, for this. <laughs> like this is unbelievable. Um, I mean, I think that's just an incredible story. And you you talk about the shoreline there. Yeah. So the shoreline to you in that scenario was a very specific goal in mm-hmm. life. How would you articulate what the shoreline is in mm. sort of that yeah. journey of life? Yeah, what a, what a juicy question that is. So I think <laughs> when I think about that and when I translate it from the day in the lake into real life, the shoreline for me is kind of like your, um, I've heard people call it your North Star, you know, your yeah. guiding principle, that place that you're, that you're going, um, you know, it felt like home base for me, um, somewhere that uh, was... Um, it was home for me. And I guess when I look at um, kind of the shoreline, it's sort of like that destination that you're wanting to get to that place of, of home, um, that sort of anchor that keeps you grounded. And it changes through life. I mean, when I look back, I'm sure the same for you, right? Over the course of your life and your work, your shoreline changes. Um, But it also really got me thinking about, you know, when, when your goal is not clear, sometimes we, you know, create the outcome and we're unhappy with our results, but maybe the results matched what we decided the goal was going to be. So, you know, it's just like when Chris and I kept putting on our vision board, Chris retires when he's 50 and, you know, we weren't very specific about that. (laughs) And and he did retire when he was 50, but it wasn't the way that he wanted to retire. So, you know, Uh we, we always, we always look at be specific with your goals and, um, and have clarity around them. Do they, so do they have to be um, specific and clarity, I think is great, but there has to be a certain element of flexibility and adjustment because you mentioned it, like a shoreline will, is actually constantly changing. Exactly. It is. And, and I think that, like I can trace back numerous times in my life. I, I'm a recovering perfectionist and thank you to a Me dog. Me too. Oh yeah. <laughs> Desperately <laughs> trying to recover. It's not happening yet. But. No, I, I think recovery is just sort of this, this yeah. place you want to go to, but you know, there's a lot of pressure when you're a perfectionist. We often want everything to just fit into this this box. And like you said, the shoreline is constantly changing. It's constantly evolving. And if I look back over times in my life that um, were particularly stressful, or I wasn't feeling thrilled about the results I was getting in certain areas of my life, I can, I can honestly say that I was probably trying to force sort of the round peg into the, you know, into the square and trying to force something and not being flexible and adaptable. I was being too rigid and not allowing that life changes. We change as humans and, and sometimes the goal and your desired outcomes have to flex. And I, I went through a long time of not being very flexible. (laughs) And I hear you. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, for me, the perfectionism, it, it kind of con- comes down to my need to sort of control everything around me and to make sure that it is all, it all fits and it all works and all of these things. And so the ability to let that go and just kind of go with the flow a little bit more, it, it feels great when you do it. And it's actually what I thought about 
when you were talking about your swimming and how when the negative talk, talk comes in and that, you know, aggressiveness that we get to ourselves sometimes will actually physically stop us from, from doing what we're meant to do totally. and becoming who we're meant to be. Totally. Um, and what I find fascinating about the two stories you told is like dogs are the epitome of the opposite of perfectionism. So they're yeah. just the most carefree soul. So tell me more about your dog. That's a beautiful story. You know, so Toby, uh, Toby Sr. was a, he was um, a, an adult dog when we adopted him and he came to us um uh, you know, overweight and under-exercised, loved, <laughs> very loved by his first owners, but the foster family got him off drugs and off, um, you know, got his weight down. And But what we didn't know is that when he was, he was actually on human Prozac with his first family. Oh my and, gosh. And uh, when he was weaned off his anti-anxiety medication, uh, we developed, he had zero coping skills. <laughs> and so, <laughs> Any noise, the, the garbage truck backing up, a siren, uh, an airplane, any noise for him created extreme anxiety and how he coped with anxiety was wrecking our house. And <laughs> thousands of dollars in damage to the house. You know, we went through, I think it was eight toilet tank lids because he would break, lock himself in the bathroom knock the toilet tank lid off oh my god oh no <laughs> yeah it was always a story with him and when we brought maggie the behaviorist in and she discovered he needed a purpose and so we started to do this behavior modification with him and you know i remember the first day at the hospital i, I so here i am perfectionism and all thinking of all the things that could go wrong what if he decides to mark his territory you yes. know on the wall or something what if he has an accident um what if he growls at somebody but something startles him and and i remember my husband saying char just trust him like he's a loving, supportive dog. Let him do what he needs to do. Stop trying to micromanage him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we, I'm not kidding you. We opened the doors for the, to the hospital and we had taken him in several times to get used to the environment. I opened the door to the unit that he was placed to work on. And when that door opened, he barked two massive barks that I thought would startle people. It did. Oh, no. but, um, <laughs> you know, it was like he was saying, I'm here. I'm a yeah. Oh, he was so excited. And he just went and did what he needed to do. He went up to patients that needed attention and put his head on their lap or oh. nudged them. Um, he would bring his toy over to them to kick to him on the floor. Uh, you know, he just went about his job. And, and so he was probably the reason I started to work really hard at not being a perfectionist because wow. you can't be a perfectionist and have a dog like Toby. And it was no. easier to change myself than it was to change him. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has a purpose in your life and teaches yeah. you a different lesson. So Toby certainly did. How yeah. did you, how did you or the behavioralist um, figure that out or diagnose he needs a purpose and how did you choose that service dog yeah. uh, element? 
You know, it was funny when she came over, it happened to be just around dinner time and she wanted to observe um, Chris and I and Toby in our surroundings and so wanted us to just do our normal routines and we had finished dinner and Toby had his dinner and we had always wondered why he would take a, one kernel of food and then wander around the house and then come back for another. I mean, dinner took him forever because mm -hmm. of this strange behavior and as Maggie the behaviorist was watching this I uh, she started smiling and she said he's patrolling your house he's making sure that everything's okay he needs a job so she she tested it I went downstairs to put something in the laundry room and she said just give him something to carry so I gave him a toy or I can't remember something that was going in the laundry and said you know bring it with us and he you know came down the stairs bringing it with us all happy and so she discovered that he needed to be working. He needed to feel like he was contributing. And it was that way he ate his dinner and policed us and walked around us and made sure that everything was okay before he took his next kernel of food. And wow. when the interesting part is when Toby got his job, the destruction pretty much stopped. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> wow. Thank God for Maggie. Uh, yeah, Maggie's our hero. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. Because I think a lot of us feel restlessness, we'll feel irritated, we'll feel, mm -hmm. and can get destructive in our own lives if yep. we don't have a purpose and we don't um, feel that sense of accomplishment in a day. Yeah. So he was just yeah. reflecting life back to you in every way. Yes. And it, I mean, I was, I was a slow learner. I didn't figure that out for, <laughs> for years later. And it's funny, I was just talking to my publisher yesterday. This book is now 10, 11 years old. Okay. And, um, you know, I was talking to her and we were talking about more lessons that, you know, that, that, that Toby Sr. had taught me. And then in comes Toby Jr. Um, oh, tell me about Toby ago. Jr. <laughs> several years ago, adopted him, uh, yeah. found him on the internet as well, and right. uh, fell in love with him at first sight. And he had huge issues too, but they were different. Um, yeah. And he had zero desire to be a therapy dog. And <laughs> we, just, we just let him live his purpose. But um, yeah, he... he he had a completely different purpose. He was all about, uh, he's, he is, uh, he's about eight right now. He's all about love me. Uh, let's just play. Let's have fun. So he, I think is on this planet to teach me the importance of taking time away from work and being busy. To, totally bringing play yes. into my life. Yes. That's balance yeah. that we perfectionists do not do very well. <laughs> it's extremes, all or nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And all as we wish them to happen. Thank you for coming out. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. life often laughs at me anyway. And the fact that that's never going to happen, it's never yeah. all going to fall into place the way you think that it will. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So what would you say is your, like your passion in life right mm. now? I think my passion in life, what really fires me up and puts mm -hmm. a bounce in my step and, and gets, you know, gets me uh, excited before I'm even really starting my day is helping people, whether that's by inspiring them or supporting them to live 
what their big dream is, to put their dreams into action. I get so fired up watching somebody who has an idea or a concept and watching their face. I mean, they're, they're coming out of themselves with excitement talking about it and then watching them actually move that into action. And I just, I really believe that our world becomes a better place when people put their dreams into action, whatever that dream is. Because when we aren't living are when we aren't doing what makes us feel purposeful or what gives us joy, it creates tremendous stress, tremendous mm-hmm. pressure. It impacts our resilience. And, um, you know, I just think it, it's so good for our world to have people doing and contributing in the way that makes them feel good. And once it's really actually hard to sometimes identify what that is. Mm. And so there's a whole journey that has to happen. And actually you may have, you've said you've started two businesses. There may be more than one. So you mentioned earlier also that life is made up of these moments. So how do you harness those moments into, I'm going to discover what my passion is. Like that seems like a pretty daunting task for some people. Yeah, well, exactly. And, and, and I used, it felt really daunting to me. And then I had a, a coach and a friend, both of them asked me the same questions and they said, well, what, what do you love to do? Like, what do would you do that, it didn't matter if you got paid or not, you know, what would you rather be doing um, than what you were doing right now in this moment? And the answers all came back to supporting people, helping people, um, helping people achieve what's important to them. And then my coach said, you've been doing that since you graduated from grade 12. And I said, he said, what, why did you start to become a correctional officer? And I said, because people made decisions in their life and maybe they could change the course of their future. And he said, okay. So it wasn't like to boss people around. And <laughs> so it was That's beautiful. Who, That's what a correctional officer should be. Right. You know, we wish that it all, I'm sure majority are, but we wish they that are, all yeah. would be that way. Right. So, yeah. So there was this thread. He, he kind of said, there's a thread that's woven through your life that yeah. what really keeps you um, inspired is, helping people, but more empowering them, you know, not solving for them, but letting them solve it. Why did I become a mediator? Because I love what happens when two people who can't get along have the support to work it out on their own instead of having to go to court. So there was this theme, you know, why do I have raise a dream with my business partner, Rebecca Kirstein, because Mm -hmm. we're both passionate about helping people do exactly that, figure out what their thread is and then putting that into action. That's amazing. And so when you, when you start out and you're trying, you know, to manage sewing together all of these moments and Mm. and doing what you need to do, um, sometimes one of the hardest things is, is asking for help when you need it. (laughs) How do you, how do you approach that in life? (laughs) Yeah, that's my, that's my ongoing to do. Um, Yeah, right. Yeah. So first of all, anyone who's listening, who's a perfectionist, and you know this as well, asking for help is painful. It's really hard to do that when you're a perfectionist. And so we will struggle through make mistakes that we have to correct rather than ask for help. And one of the things that um, I remember being in a Jack Canfield workshop probably 15 years ago. And I remember him saying something like when your hands are holding 
all kinds of stuff that are just okay and good. There's nothing, there's no space in your hands to welcome into the world what you really want to create. And then he said, you have to be able to learn to ask for help. And I, I remember resisting that. I remember sitting in the audience and having the conversation in my head of what I would say to Jack if I was courageous. <laughs> and like, oh no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> right. I, I was resisting it. And then I, when I was talking to him later, I shared with him that, you know, I was resi- really resisting. You know, I'm a strong, independent person. And he said, you've, he said, can I share another perspective with you? What if, and I love how he framed the question, what if you asking for help allowed people to participate in something that not only was important to you, but was important to them as well? And so he was framing for me that asking for help kind of lights the way for other people to do that in their own life. And I thought, wow, that's a really cool um, perspective. And then he said, have you ever had that that moment where you're sitting there listening to someone share their dream and seeing them be stuck. And in your head, you're thinking, Oh, if only you were to do this, or, you know, you want to come out with all those solutions for them, but you hold off. He said, you know, asking for help is actually a sign of courage. And, and, and so that changed it for me. I think I had framed it in my own head. Um, created a definition that asking for help was a sign of weakness. And when he said it was really a sign of courage, that changed everything for me. So I now call myself a professional asker. And (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) the The only way that I could get comfortable with this was to practice asking for help. So I might go into the gas station, pump up my gas, go in to pay for it, and then say, oh, can you tell me which is the best route to take from here to this place? Even if I could have GPSed it, but I asked for help. Or if I'm in the store, you know, what's what's your take? Which product do you like better? Or which color of dress do you like? I'm considering both of these. Yes. Asking for help. You've got to practice it so it becomes comfortable. I love that you brought up practice because I think that's just something that has to enter any part of your life. If you want to change something, you want to do something, it takes practice. It's a, it's a small step first. It's a small achievement and then you keep building and building. So I love that you practice asking for help. That's great. That's great. (laughs) And I actually see it as a, it's almost a form of self care because you're allowing yourself, you're afraid of it, which I love that you said it's a, it's actually an act of courage because it really is like you, you have a lot of, um, shame, I think, associated Mm -hmm. around it sometimes. If you're kind to yourself and allow yourself just to take that little step, then it'll get bigger and bigger. And then that comes back to the importance of of self-care in life. And I think, you know, you've talked about Toby Jr. teaching you about plays. That's definitely part of self-care. What else do you do for just to rejuvenate Uh yourself and care for yourself? You know, I, there's a few things that I do. Um, One of them is fresh air and having a dog really helps with that. But um, even just today, I went out in the sunshine and there's something that happens to me when I'm, and I'm sure that lots of you listening experience this, when you feel that warmth on your face and, you know, the sky, the sky is just blue with sun. um, It just feels good. So that's something that I, that I do to rejuvenate. Um, I really know how important sleep is. 
and making sure I, you know, wind my activities down to get good sleep. When you're a creative person, some of you might find that, you know, your best ideas come to you right before bed or at a ridiculous time in the morning. <laughs> yeah. so write it down. Yeah. And go back to bed. Um, you know, and so, and then I think the other piece for me is relationships. So making sure that I build in time to, for phone calls and communications and time with friends and family. And that, that just invigorates me. Um, it makes me feel connected and, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's a, just an opportunity to, to move away from routine. I guess that's the other piece is that, you know, I like routine and yes. structure. And, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and one of the ways for me to stay resilient is also doing things that are spontaneous and unstructured. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, during these times, it's almost been harder. Like yeah. we've all been working from home. It means you like, for me, it's you come downstairs, turn on the computer, away you go. And then, you know, it's just a very rigid and routine thing. Yeah. And I love that you brought up connection with family and friends and how important that is because during COVID, the isolation um, has made that, I think, even more important, reaching out yeah. via a phone call or via Zoom. Mm-hmm. And as we're going into the holidays, I think it's the perfect time to kind of think about and how we do that differently yeah. um, in life. And so how, yeah. how have you been navigating the need for that? Well, what's really, it, when COVID became a thing, um, you know, in March, I started and I knew I wasn't going to be traveling home much um, after March or at all. Uh, right. And home being, I live on the West Coast, my family's all on the East Coast. So, and I have a sister in London, England. And I thought, how can we all stay connected? So what's really unusual is I've been using Zoom and prior to that Skype for many, many years in my business. And I, I'm still, you know, my husband says, Shar, just get over it. But I'm always saying, how did I not figure out to Skype with my family or Zoom with my family <laughs> every week? And so we have been doing Sunday Zoom calls as a family. And it's amazing. My sister from London is on. It's sort of like whoever can come, comes to yeah. the, the Sunday Zoom. And yeah. um, it's amazing. We've spent so much time together. It just feels like we're sitting at mom and dad's house, having a cup of tea, <laughs> um, catching up with everybody. It's a chance for us to um, stay in touch with my with my niece and her three children and kind of watch kids together and and so that is something that uh, it, we will continue um, even when even COVID post. is no longer exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. So I look so forward to it. It's so funny that you say Sunday Zoom calls. We have we call them Sunday Skype calls in my family <laughs> because um, my parents actually live in the Middle East. Um, wow. So we like for years, and yeah. you know, when you're young, you're like. Oh, I got to get on the stupid family Skype call on Sunday morning or whatever, but it's just, it's your routine now and it's how we've stayed connected and, and we're just so used to it. So yeah, absolutely using the tools that are available to us is I totally. think, so important. And it's so, it's so amazing, like with your family being so far away and you can just yeah. hop on that Skype and just be with them. You know, I just, yeah. I, it's so special. And I think, you know, with, I don't know about your family, um, but I know it means a lot to 
um, my folks, to my parents. Oh yeah, to my parents, absolutely. <laughs> yes, as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There. You can hear how excited they are when. Uh, yeah. When we get on, we may be grumpy sometimes <laughs> Sunday morning, but uh, you know, yeah, it's it's important to maintain that connection. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. halfway around the world. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're all just we're all just trying to survive and push forward at this point, right? So yeah. Yeah, there's Um, lots that we've all had to navigate, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure some of your clients, maybe you can tell us a bit more about um, Raise a Dream. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's been difficult for some of your clients and and how they've kind of navigated it because a lot of people on the call will be, uh, or on our podcast will be Mm -hmm. listening out for tips on how they get uh, things underway during COVID. So, you know, absolutely. So nonprofits and service clubs, you know, definitely we've seen so many ways that they've been impacted. Their sponsors often, big companies, uh, small businesses, they've been impacted by COVID financially. And so they may not be supporting in the way that they have. And entrepreneurs, definitely, you know, we do a lot of work with entrepreneurs as well. And many of them are wondering how they'll get through it. And I, I guess for tips, one of the things that I have seen come out of COVID that I, and I'm seeing it in the nonprofit charitable sector, as well as in the uh, entrepreneur sector, is that there's a much uh, more uh, positive appetite for collaborating. And I get really excited mm-hmm. about that because I know that cool. I t- it is cool. And I talk to sponsors all the time. And, you know, the big brands are saying, we really like it when whether it's not uh, several nonprofits partner together or a nonprofit and entrepreneur and come to us with a project and the, the brands, the sponsors are really appreciating those organizations that collaborate. So that would be one tip is look for opportunities to collaborate versus being competitive against each other. That will definitely help you. The other thing is that, um, some organizations have been so busy trying to figure out how they're going to get through this and creating the changes that need to happen to get them through this, that they've actually um, allowed sponsor relationships to fall off the radar. Mm. And this is, this is something you will stand out to partners and sponsors when you maintain that relationship, because what will happen is there'll be a time where all of a sudden there's a flood of organizations knocking on a sponsor's door right. with support and sponsors are much more likely to engage the organizations that have been keeping in touch with them, building a relationship, didn't just wait to knock on the door when they need money. Yeah. And so this is really a time I promise you that when you can just keep those relationships, as, as you said a moment ago, keeping those connections alive, same mm-hmm. thing in our business, in our organizations, really work hard right now at connections, staying in touch, looking for ways that you can serve and support. Because I think that when you come from that place, it creates a stronger foundation to be able to secure support from different sponsors or companies that want to work with you and support you. And I think, you know, relationships in anything, in business, in life, and it, it's everything about life is it is built into your relationships. So absolutely maintaining them. And I, I love the idea of collaboration yeah. because and looking for something or someone that's, you know, complementary to you. 
and yeah. not identical? And how do you work together to solve these problems and, and to survive these these crazy, unprecedented times that we're yeah. living in right now? So. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, everyone is having to, to adjust how they, Mm -hmm. how they work in their team. They're adjusting how they provide services uh, and programs to clients and to their communities. And, and um, I think right now, when you can think creatively and also think for the long term, because I've also had a number of conversations with nonprofits that, and charities that have said, there has been some blessings that have come out of COVID. It has illuminated issues that they just kind of kept pushing through and doing what they've always done because they've always done it this way. And this is actually the pandemic has kind of provided them with sort of this spotlight saying, you need to look at this. And so I've talked to some executive directors that are saying they have made some incredible changes in how they work as an organization that are going to help them be sustainable for the future. And they probably wouldn't have looked at it now or in that way without the pandemic almost sort of forcing the issue. So there's been some, um, I think, some opportunities for some organizations that have been open to seeing the opportunities. Yeah, I think it's seeing the opportunities and then it makes you hyper-focused on why you began to begin with the like the crux and the core of your why in the organization and I think in in life overall that's that's the shoreline coming full circle that's got to be the shoreline of of where you're going in life um so what would you what would you say is your why right now Oh, my why is actually, um, oh, I've got, uh, my big driving why right now is about inspiring people or, or associating with people or supporting people to actually create the difference that they want to make in the world. And there are so many people with incredible ideas and that are making impact in the world in so many different ways that, you know, my why is supporting people in doing that. That's amazing. I love it. And that's what you're doing with your life, with your, your <laughs> company, with everything and, and what you're doing by joining us today. And, and I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's been really inspirational. Is there anything you would like to say in closing before we, we wrap up for today? Uh, you know, I just, I always just come back to kind of where we started that just, it's so important for us all to remember right now that life really is a series of these moments, as you said, that are kind of sewn together. And those moments are going to be ones that challenge you and stretch you and define you, but they're also moments that help you grow. So if we can just be a little open to those moments, often wrapped in that moment, it's almost like a gift wrapped in sandpaper as the saying goes that sometimes our (laughs) our biggest gifts don't appear to be a gift at the time. Um, so just know that your moments are being strung together and, and what you've been doing before now helps you prepare for now. That's amazing. A gift wrapped in sandpaper. I haven't actually heard that before, but that's just the struggle that you have to get through to get to the beauty in mm-hmm. life. Yeah, it's not my quote. I wish I could have thought of something. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> you know, I've had, I remember years and years ago, one of my my um, 
early, early bosses in the correctional system. And that's what he said to me. He was giving me some constructive feedback. And he said, you know, Charmaine, I'm going to give you a gift, but it's wrapped in sandpaper. And I thought, what does that mean? And yeah. basically what he said is, I'm going to give you some constructive feedback and it's really going to help your future. And it did. Oh, I love that. I think that's great. I think that's yeah. great. He was very wise and we have all benefited from it. So <laughs> thank you so much thank for joining you. us. This was so much fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Amazing. <laughs>